to the lost souls, the disintegrated spirits, the wanderers, the dreamers, and the seekers. Welcome to the Embodied Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. Our work in this podcast will be to foster healing, transformation, self-expression, creativity, and the development of consciousness. So with our intentions grounded firmly, let's settle in and do some integration work. Hey friends, happy Thursday and welcome back to another episode of the Embodied Podcast. If you guys are loving what you're hearing on the show, I would really appreciate it if you slid over to iTunes, dropped a five-star rating, a written review, or just let me know what you're loving about the show. I just got a notification that the podcast has officially launched 150 episodes. So if you're new to the show, feel free to go back and explore all of the content that is housed in this podcast. That's really, really exciting. I don't claim that any of the podcasts in the past are, actually, I don't claim that any podcasts at all are holding capital T truth. These podcasts have been always an exploration of what's interesting to me at the time. And I really think that approaching the material, the content in the podcast from a place of what is resonating, what's moving you, what's moving within you as you listen to the podcast is the best way I think to ultimately take in this and digest this information. It's not a place to come for certainty or answers. It's a place to come for contemplations, curious conversations, and explorations. And that leads me into what I'm going to talk about today is the importance and the necessity of ambivalence when we're doing our inner work. I was reading the Cenex and Puer book by Hillman. This is like the third time we've read it in my PhD, which I love because every time I read it, I'm just deepening in and getting new insights and new reflections each and every time. And something that I wanted to talk about today is the inherent nature of psyche. That nature is one of ambivalence. Hillman's whole psychology is to reclaim soul, psyche, back into psychology. And what we're seeing in modern culture is that psychology is not necessarily a study of the divine ordering of soul. Psychology is an attempt to position the ego in a more stable state above the unconscious That's what I sense or intuit anyway. And so even the attempt to create ego strength or create certainties or stabilities or divisions within, I think is is a move away from soul. And so I want to read some sections here because, you know, you might look at the podcast and be like, all she's doing is reading uh, Hillman or Young or these different authors, but I really think it's important to honor those that came before me and give them credit where credit is due because they're they're lobbing up these amazing intuitive insights about the nature of life itself. And for me to claim that that's my creative insight is false, one. And I think that to read something and then to reflect on it, I think is how we we deepen our our wisdom 
So we read something, we experience it, we allow it to move through our system, and then we go out and experience the world and test it out into the world. Like how does that fit our embodied experience of the world? And then come back and reflect on it. So that's really what I've been doing recently on the podcast. Hillman is talking about the the ambivalent paradoxical nature of the archetype per se, like the archetype itself. He says the archetype per se is ambivalent and paradoxical, embracing both spirit and nature, psyche and matter, consciousness and unconsciousness. In it, the yes and the no are one. There is neither day nor night, but rather a continual dawning. So what happens is the inherent opposition within the archetype splits into poles when it enters ego consciousness. And I think this is where we need to have the conversation because if our psychological frameworks are set up to strengthen ego consciousness instead of relativize ego consciousness, I think that what happens is the ego is very good at splitting and dividing to create certainty and safety as you navigate the world. He says, the inherent opposition within the archetype splits into poles when it enters ego consciousness. Day breaks with the ego, night is left behind. Our usual daily consciousness grasps only one part and makes it into a pole, a polarity. For psychology, the ontological basis of polarity is ego consciousness. And why I think that is, is because the archetype per se is filled with so much numinous energy. So our ego has to split it to some extent to digest this this unconscious energy. And what I mean by that is I love the metaphor that I've heard different scholars use about the archetype is like when you're coming across you know a hundred thousand volts of energy and this splitting of the ego like breaks it down into maybe like 10 volts of energy so that you can digest the archetypal symbolic paradoxical ambivalent nature of things into the human being so he quotes young here Because he's saying that the process of making something conscious thereby also makes it unconscious. So Jung put this forward by saying, So we come to the paradoxical conclusion that there is no conscious content which is not in some other respect unconscious. Maybe too, there is no unconscious psychism which is not at the same time conscious. It really is... The experience of a polarity, a split, a division is an experience of the ego's affinity for consciousness. So the ego also has a dual role. It wants to become more conscious. It wants to become more certain of things. But it also wants to protect that consciousness that it has claimed. And so as long as we remain within that that way of seeing the world, we're missing out on the metaphorical, the symbolic, the intuitive, and we are, we're prioritizing clarity and logic. He goes on to say that, so when we speak of consciousness, we still tend to say good or bad consciousness, attributing it at the same time, the opposite sign to unconscious. So the tendency works for every pair of opposites. The view and the value we have for one pair of the polarity is taken within the standpoint of the other owing to the nature of consciousness as a polarity with the unconscious. 
we can never be wholly outside our own unconsciousness. Thus, too, the so-called objective standpoint of the conscious observer is actually coming from within the same archetypal experience, just from the opposite pole of it. So he talks about this as if, you know, we go into a room and we, we, we light a candle. What we see from the light of the candle is going to cast a shadow in some point in the room. And so that's what he's talking about is that even when we make things quote-unquote conscious, we can't rest in the certainty that we know the totality of all those things. That the consciousness is, as Jung said, just a small buoy in the vast ocean of unconsciousness. Hillman goes on to say, May I insist here that we cannot overestimate the importance of returning to the original condition of the archetype before it has broken apart or turned against itself. It is worth every attempt, not for the success or the cure that it might bring, but because each attempt makes us aware of the split and thereby begins our healing. So what he's saying there is when we can recognize that there is an inherent split or division that we are moving towards when we make things conscious, if we can recognize there's still unconsciousness in that itself, we can recognize, we can move towards ambivalence, towards paradox, and that is the beginning of our healing says the division into mutually indifferent or repugnant polarities is tearing the soul apart. The soul itself stands amidst all sorts of opposites as the third factor. It always has existed halfway between heaven and hell, spirit and flesh, inner and outer, individual and collective, or these opposites have been held together within its unfathomable reaches. But now the ego has replaced the soul as the center of the conscious personality, and it cannot hold the tension. Because with ego consciousness, it makes divisions where the soul gives feeling connections and mythical unities. So the soul has come unstrung. Its suffering and its illness reflect the torn condition of the split archetype. What he's saying there is that by prioritizing one-sided way of being, we create this suffering and illness of the soul, this inability to see and to honor the ways of the soul. As an early sign of this reunion, we may expect a new experience of ambivalence. Psychology usually gives to ambivalence a major pejorative judgment. Ambivalence tends to only be reserved for faulty ego, but ambivalence is natural. It's a necessary condition to the ambiguity of psychic wholeness. Living in ambivalence is living where yes and no, light and dark, right action and wrong are held closely together and difficult to distinguish. And psychology usually attempts to meet this condition through reaffirming consciousness by decision and differentiation, solidifying and strengthening the ego, turning against the mixture of feelings and the indifferent soft light. But ambivalence rather than being overcome, may be developed within its own principle. It is a way in itself. So I see this so much with my clients. A lot of my clients right now are, are, are deepening into this metaphorical negredo phase of the, the process where 
it's coming into an awareness of the shadow, not from this conceptual way of just looking and knowing from a mental space about what they haven't known about themselves, but a a true reckoning, a, a confrontation with those things that are held deep in the somatic unconscious that are that are coupled with visceral and raw instinctual anger and disgust and grief and that process in itself is a process that the ego impulsively wants to cling to clarity and to discrimination so that it doesn't have to face the truth of the soul and really what we're after here is to create a relationship between ego and soul a way to connect and to communicate through metaphor through symbolism through images so that the ego doesn't feel so afraid from this paradox. Hillman says that ambivalence, rather than corrected, may be encouraged towards encompassing ever more profound paradoxes and symbols, which always release ambivalent feelings that hinder clarity and decisiveness. Paradox and symbols express the coexistence of polarity, the fundamental two-headed duality that is both logically absurd and symbolically true like that when you are in a confrontation with the shadow is something that needs to be processed this experience could be logically absurd but symbolically true my analyst said one time thank god for symbols and i was like yes because what symbols and images and metaphors and myth what they do is they help digest that 100,000 volts of archetypal energy and help us bring it into being and integrate it into our being. And that process is a process of learning to create a capacity to accept the things about nature that are logically absurd and symbolically true. He says that ambivalence is the adequate reaction of the whole psyche to these whole truths. To cure ambivalence removes the eye with which we can perceive the paradox. Whereas bearing ambivalence places us within a symbolic reality where we can perceive both faces at once and even exist two realities at once. And so that really is the cultivation of the the eye that honors the soul is to recognize that maybe in our outer life we're bumping up against things that absolutely make no rational sense, but they make the deepest sense in, in the depths of your being. There's a symbolic truth to it. And when we can do that, what happens is instead of navigating the world on this horizontal level, disconnected from spirit, disconnected from soul, we start to open a space within our being where the vertical now has space to enter. Meaning that we're not just navigating this horizontal space, constantly trying to fight our way towards clarity, certainty, and decisiveness when we bump up against something that makes the ego uncomfortable instead when we can open and deepen into that that vertical 
way of navigating the world, when we can combine the horizontal and the vertical, what that does is when we experience discomfort or we experience the quote-unquote terrible side of an archetype or a complex, we can deepen into the symbolism of this archetypal experience. We can see what it means to the, to the whole because it's inherent. The thing is, is that the ego wants to cling unto the things that it can identify with or the things that it finds most interesting or the things that makes it feel the most comfortable. And so when we're doing shadow work or we're doing any archetypal work, we're, we're kind of like, okay, like we're good with knowing about the positive sides of the mother or we're good with actually recognizing on a mental level the negative mother but to actually take that in and digest it and confront that negative mother in the in the body is a whole different story it's it's really coming into the totality of things we don't want to cure the eye of the soul it doesn't need cured it's the movement that we need to to open up to is recognizing that perhaps the the egoic eye the the part of us that sees things through ego and the soulful eye can coexist together and i love donald cowshed's work in trauma and the soul where his whole premise of the book is focused on an eye facing outward and an eye facing inward and rick and i i think are going to do our next book club with that book so he goes on to say that the way of ambivalence of paradox of symbolism is slower action is hindered and one fumbles foolishly into the half light of the symbolic and then he finishes out that section by a quote from Lao Tzu by saying soften the light become one with the dusty world and I just think that that is such a beautiful way of opening to the inherent ambivalence and paradox that is nature itself and if we can come to open ourselves to that I think that that deepens that deepens the work beyond any work that you could move towards clarity or certainty so if you are a woman who is interested in interested in learning and engaging creatively with the archetypal realm I am in March, going to be opening space for a workshop series that is half workshop, half book club, working off the work of Linda Leonard and her book, The Wounded Woman, and going through these um, patterns and archetypes that women come across as they are navigating their way in the world. The the title of the book is The Wounded Woman Healing the Father-Daughter Relationship, but really it's it's not just the personal father, it's it's coming up against the archetypal and collective father as well. And so if you are a woman who is interested in learning more about these patterns in a way that is inclusive of soul, you can find more information about that in the show notes. And then I'm also starting a small intimate dream group halfway through March where it's only going to be six people max and we are going to create a sacred community to unpack 
dreams, work with dream images, and really foster a deep connection with soul as it's speaking through the dream. So if you're interested in that as well, you can head to the show notes. And then the last thing in the show notes is the link that you can find to join my free community. And that's where all of my courses, events, podcasts will be hosted. So if you want to engage with the podcast and ask questions about any of the episodes, if there was something in the podcast that was unclear or you disagreed with or you wanted to have a dialogue about, like that is the place where you can go and engage. So check out all of the links in the show notes if you're interested and we will talk on Sunday. Bye guys. Thank you.